When I was growing up, I loved playing team sports. I was 12 years old in 1972 when Title IX was passed. Title IX instituted the idea of equal opportunities for girls in sports and other activities in public schools. I started playing softball in the summer that year and played volleyball in high school and college. Played softball until I was nearly 40. I always loved the beginning of the practice season when everyone came together and began to work on skills. It was a time of camaraderie and joy at being with my team. We were excited about the prospect of new seasons and optimistic about how far we might go together. The best of days for me always came when we got our jerseys or uniforms. It was a day of anticipation. How would they look? Would they fit comfortably? Were all the words spelled correctly? Receiving a uniform solidified one's place on the team and signified one's acceptance as a team player. I was reminded just a bit of this part of my past as I read today's gospel lesson. And the story of the wedding banquet is one of the, those that most preachers would just prefer to skip over. We've had some of those lately. Why? Because it's hard to understand, and in all honesty, it just doesn't end right. But as I've said before, we don't always have the luxury of just passing on certain sections. We preach the lectionary as it comes. So here goes. We see an interesting story unfolding. A king gives a wedding banquet for his son, sending slaves to invite all those on the guest list. And they don't come for whatever reason or for no reason at all. The king sends more slaves to describe the feast he has prepared, but the people rise up and kill his slaves. In anger, the king destroys the murderers and burns their city. Then he sends yet another group of slaves out into the main streets to bring in anyone and everyone they can find, both good and bad. Finally, a full wedding hall. And as the king is making the rounds as a good host, he spies a man not wearing an appropriate wedding robe. This is an odd point in the story. No one seems to agree on what a wedding robe really meant. It could have been just our idea of Sunday best attire, or a robe everyone had hanging at home for just this purpose, or maybe even a robe kept by, at home by the host for guests to put on over their own clothes as they entered. No matter which of these applied, this one guy decided he didn't want to play by the established rules. He didn't accept the uniform offered to him he didn't want to be part of the team. This one guy has foregone any kind of preparation for attending this party. He's basically said, nah, I'm good. 
And preparations for wedding banquets were kind of important in Jesus' day. The wedding celebration usually lasted several days, and people were expected to attend appropriately dressed. Naturally, the king is incensed and insulted and has the man bound hand and foot and thrown into the outer darkness to weep and gnash his teeth. That doesn't sound like something the God of our understanding would do, does it? Especially if Jesus himself is telling the story. It is quite a shocking turn of events. So let's look at the story again in a broader sense. Notice how Jesus begins. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a wedding banquet. So it's going to be similar to the wedding banquet, but with a few twists. What if the first guests, those specifically invited by the king, represent the people of Israel? And the first two sets of slaves sent to invite them represent the prophets of the Old Testament. That might explain why they are beaten up and killed. And it seems a fairly drastic way to decline an invitation. What if the city that the king destroys represents Jerusalem? And then in a large gap of time, in the second part of the story, What if the slaves who are sent into the streets to invite anybody and everybody represent the apostles, the followers of Jesus after the resurrection, who were literally building and bringing the church together on the fly? Everyone welcome, good and bad, righteous and unrighteous, deserving and undeserving, lower classes, women, Gentiles, all. And then there's this one guy who refuses to join the party. He's there, but he's not participating fully. And he has chosen not to do so. He's chosen not to be a team player. And when questioned about it by the king, he has no response whatsoever. No thank you, or I didn't have time to get dressed, or anything like that. So the king judges him unworthy to stay and has him cast out and punished harshly. Maybe this is a parable of judgment, as Robert Capon observes. He says the man at the end of this story has willfully balked at the one easily met condition of his attendance at the party. He refuses to put on the uniform to be a team player. He would rather exercise his right of saying no to the greatest gift ever given. We all have that option, you know, to say no to God's invitation to the kingdom banquet. And some people make that choice. People have been making that choice to rest on their own righteousness, their own worthiness, to make their own choices for millennia. 
They seem determined to reject the offer of forgiveness for their bad choices. Forgiveness that would bring them fully into the party of all parties. And so they find themselves off the team, stuck on the sidelines, missing out on the camaraderie and the joy. Weeping and gnashing of teeth seems a natural response to anger, bad choices, even self-loathing. I know I've gnashed my teeth several times this week over things I've done and over things over which I have no control. But I also know that my feeling out of sorts or off the field of play is not a permanent condition. The outer darkness I create in my own weakness or ignorance isn't permanent. I can always rejoin the game just as the man in the story can. He just can't see it yet. So as you can see, I'm wearing the latest uniform I've been issued. Every time I put my collar on, something happens, like a light switch being flipped. Before I get fully vested, there's a little cross at the top of my stole. We always kiss it. And that reminds me of the love that God in Christ has for me. And I remember why I accepted this uniform, what it means to me and for me. And we all put on Christ in our own way because we are all uniquely made in God's image. Some of us pitch, some of us hit, some of us field, but we're all on the same team. God yearns for a relationship with us all and loves us all and wants us all with him in the celebration. And Jesus is the ticket to that great banquet, to that kingdom banquet. His sacrifice for our redemption brings us all in. His grace is the uniform we share. Our only duty is to join in the celebration wholeheartedly with joy and praise, not sullenness and silence or weeping and gnashing of teeth. We are called to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. The Lord is near. Amen.